Saints, we started a new series last week. Amen. We, we were motivated. Well, I was motivated by a song that we sang some time ago. Hallelujah. That declared four attributes about God that I knew were biblical. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to go in on those four <laughs> attributes because the song impact me, impacted me so much. And so we started to deal with them. Last week, we talked about one of those attributes, which was that God is a way maker. He's a way maker. And uh, he'll make a way where there is no way. Amen. And, and, and we went in on that text right there. We even talked about temptation a little bit and how God had promised in his word that along with the temptation, he would make a way of escape. Amen. And we referred to the people of Israel in the wilderness in the text, hallelujah, and how God had made a way for them in the wilderness. But five tests, five tests that they could not pass kept them from experiencing the promised land. And I believe they are the same five tests that we have to pass if we're going to experience, watch this, the promised life. The promised life. Not, not just you making it to heaven, but experiencing heaven on earth. Amen. And so we dealt with that last week. Today we're going to talk about another attribute of his, which is miracle worker. How many of you know that your God is a miracle worker? How many of you in here believe he still does miracles? How many of you in this place believe that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? I am the Lord your God. I change not. The Bible says that in him there's not even the shadow of turning. What I did then, I'm still doing today. If it were not so, it would mean that I have changed my character. And I don't believe that to be so. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah, Jesus. And so we want to talk about that a little bit today. The very fact that he's still a miracle worker. And I want to begin in a place, hallelujah, where it doesn't necessarily emphasize miracles, but you'll see. You'll see where I'm headed. I want to come out of the book of wisdom. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 20. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 20. Hallelujah. You know, I came in here tonight believing that God was going to do a miracle today. I just need somebody else to agree with me. Hallelujah. Who knows that he can do it. My Bible says that with God, nothing, no thing is impossible to them that believe. Amen. I believe that somebody came in this place today needing a miracle. Hallelujah, Jesus. Proverbs 4, beginning at verse 20, when you have it, shout amen. We read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I want you to pay attention to the first two words of the text. It says, my son. So you have to understand that this is not written to everybody. This is written to the family. This is written to those who belong to the family. Amen. He's not necessarily talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to the family. My son, attend to my words. Incline thy ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thy eyes. Notice that. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart. I believe it was the psalmist on another occasion said, Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Store the word of God in your heart. 
For they are, watch this now, life unto those that find them. Not for everybody, but unto those that find them. And this is the part right here. And health to all your flesh. You better catch that. And health to all your flesh. When you are reading the Word of God, you're not reading an ordinary book. You're not reading a book with pages and just black, blank, black ink on it. He said, my words, they are both spirit and life. They have the power to heal. And according to that text right there, to bring health to all your flesh. To all your flesh. Ooh. I want to talk to you for a little while on this subject, miracle worker. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, hallelujah, and we thank you for the opportunity to lift up holy hands in your presence. We thank you, Lord God, that your word will never return unto you void, but it does that thing in which you send it out to do. I believe your word has purpose today. So, Father God, we thank you in advance for what you're about to do in this place. I thank you for everybody who made the wise decision to be in the house today. And, Father God, hallelujah, glorify yourself now in the midst of your people. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. You know, when you study even the name Jesus, hallelujah, or you talk about salvation, you have to understand, hallelujah, that that name all by itself, hallelujah, is very powerful. Yeah, even in the scriptures, when the Bible uh, talks about when Jesus teaches us to pray, there's the part at the end of the prayer where he says, keep us from evil or deliver us from evil. And that word evil there uh, is referring to uh, the things that Jesus is keeping us from, which is one sin. Amen, somebody. Sin. But at the same time, it's also talking about sickness. And it's also talking about one of the root words of that word evil is poor. And so what you have to understand is that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just uh, deliver us in the sense of we're no longer going to hell, but we're going to heaven. But he also delivers us, watch this, from, according to scripture, sickness. Come on, somebody. My Bible says that by those stripes, we are, one, one, one place I think it was Peter said, we were healed. In other words, past tense. In other words, uh, it's not healing that will happen, but healing that has already been provided for that just needs to manifest. Amen, somebody? Hallelujah, Jesus. And so watch this. Uh, on another occasion, you have these four men who lower a paralytic from the roof. I believe it was Pastor Sharice who preached on that not so long ago. And Jesus says something amazing when they lowered this man down. He says... He says, what is it better for me to say? He's talking to the religious people now. Uh, to say, your sins are forgiven you, or take up your mat, or take up your bed and walk. And then he said to them, but so that you know that the Son of Man has power to, to forgive sins on the earth. He looked at the man and he said, get up, take your bed, and walk. And so what you see here in the text is that there's some, some type of correlation between salvation... Amen. The forgiveness of sins and the healing of your body. In other words, sin is to the person what sickness is to the body. 
sin is to the person, what sickness is to the body. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah, Jesus. In a little while, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how to develop a strong spirit. I'm going to mention it now just in case we don't get a chance to, <laughs> to get there. Hallelujah, I'll your appetite a little bit for next week. Uh, but the condition of your spirit does matter. Amen. Let me just throw that out there. Hallelujah. Some people are strong in flesh. Some people are strong in soul. I'll explain that in a minute. And then there are those that are strong in spirit. Amen. I will submit to you that the condition of your spirit does matter. And as a matter of fact, the challenge of the Bible is walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah, Jesus. In other words, you have to be mindful to how many of you got the peace of God? Yeah, say it by faith if you got to. Hallelujah. But you got the peace of God. Let me just submit to you that you have to protect that peace. I said you have to protect the peace of God that you have. Protect that peace. And here's what I know. That peace will protect your faith. I said that peace will protect your faith. Amen, somebody. Be careful with busyness. Because busyness will remove you from the voice of God. I said, busyness will remove you from the voice of God. And if you're not careful, even busyness in the church. Come on, somebody. And while I, you know, while I don't want to discourage anybody from working in the church, because we need all the help we can get and, and we need all the volunteers we can get, I want to submit to you, amen, hallelujah, that his voice is more necessary even than the work. Are you following what I'm saying? Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Uh, Mary is in the presence of Jesus in the house, and Martha is busy working. You know the story. Martha's busy working, and Mary's busy listening to the voice. And Martha gets a little irritated, and Martha says, Jesus, tell her something. Jesus, send her to go help me, basically is what she, what she was saying to him. But he understood that by telling her to go, he was actually asking her to remove herself from his voice. And he told Martha, I'm not going to do that because what she's doing is more necessary. And he didn't say that working for him was not important. He just said that it wasn't uh, important to the point where you had to stop doing this. In other words, this is the most important thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, never allow busyness to keep you from his voice. If that relationship is valuable, you have to protect it. Amen, somebody. My God, have mercy in here. Hmm. You know, oftentimes, we, we, we pray what I call safe prayers. Uh, safe prayers. Uh, because we don't want nobody to... To, to think differently after we pray, or I don't know what it is. I, my Bible simply puts it like this. It, it says that the prayer of faith is able to heal the sick. That's what the Bible says. The prayer of faith is able to heal the sick, amen? Oftentimes when we pray, we try to pray safe prayers so that w whether it happens or doesn't happen, you can't look at the person who prayed a certain way. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? Uh, and we pray, we pray things like, God, if it be thy will, um, 
help this person. That way, you're safe enough to the point where if it doesn't happen, well, you know, then I guess it wasn't the will of God. And then what we have to be careful that because what we're saying is that it is the will of God for some to be sick, and then it is the will of God for some not to be sick. And then if we're not careful, we can take that to another place and say that, well, then it's the will of God for some to be saved, and then it is not the will of God for some to be saved. And then we try to say, uh, and then, then we get into an issue of free will because then we're saying that there really is no free will because it's predetermined. Are you following what I'm saying? And, and I don't want to get too deep into that because we can get deep into that. There's even names for those uh, train of thoughts. And uh, I don't want to get into that. You know, the Bible says that, um, that it is his will that all should come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And we're going to talk about healing a little more in just a moment. But I just want to, I want to throw out there that when I pray for somebody, I pray the prayer of faith. Amen. I don't have a problem putting myself out there either. I pray the prayer of faith. The Bible says that the prayer of faith is able to heal the sick. And so I'm going to pray by faith. I'm going to leave the results up to him. I'm not even going to question it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's just where, that's just where I am in in my faith, amen? And, I, and I'm not going to make excuses for myself by putting somebody else down and saying, well, it didn't happen because you didn't have enough faith. <laughs> I had enough faith, but you didn't have enough faith, and that's why it didn't happen. I, I'm going to show you in the scripture in a moment how people had little to almost no faith, and Jesus still healed them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so what I, what I like about that particular scripture that says it is the prayer of faith that is able to heal the sick, it doesn't put the onus on the person. It puts the onus on the prayer. It says it is the prayer of faith. So watch this. Sometimes we have to take responsibility. Yikes. I said sometimes we have to take responsibility. It is the prayer of faith that is able to heal the sick. And so rather than just saying to somebody, watch this, uh, you know, you didn't have enough faith. Uh, sometimes we should just take responsibility and go to God in private and say, wait, well, hey, God, what happened? <laughs> Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You remember the story of the man who brought his young boy to the disciples and the disciples tried to rebuke the demon out of this young man. The Bible says that he would throw himself in the water and he would throw himself in the fire and that he had a suicidal uh, spirit. Amen. He was being tormented by a demon. And the man said, Jesus, I brought them to your disciples. And they, what? Come on, church. And they could, they could not. Amen? One of the things that I love about the disciples that nobody really talks about is the fact that they took responsibility. We could put them down about the fact that they didn't do it. And they didn't do it. Amen? Because nine of them were in the valley and only three of them were on the mountain. And, and you can't expect to do great things for God if you had never visited the mountain. And so watch this, nine of them are trying to rebuke the devil out of this young boy, and they could not. But what I like about them is the fact that after it happened, Jesus comes. You know what happens. Jesus comes, rebukes the demon out of the boy. The demon comes out of the boy. But the disciples could have easily just said, you know what, well, we had a bad day. <laughs> um, oh, well, you know, that was not their attitude. The Bible says that immediately after, they went to Jesus in private. And they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And G listen, oh God, this is, what, this is what happens when you take responsibility. They took responsibility. They said, you know what? I, we, we did what we know to do. It didn't happen. So we're going to go to Jesus in private, in prayer. Come on, somebody. And we're going to ask him what happened. And Jesus 
the thing is that when, they, when they accepted responsibility and they went to Jesus, Jesus told them. And so Jesus gives them some information, some added information and tells them, listen, because you're dealing with a certain kind. And he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Again, putting it on prayer. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? So I wonder what would have happened to all of us, hallelujah, if we, if we go to minister and pray for somebody, amen, and we don't see the hand of God move for whatever reason, that we just take responsibility rather than just saying, you know, uh, it must have been them. <laughs> or they, they must have not had enough faith. You know what? At the end of the day, we'll go to Jesus in private and say, hey, Lord, talk to me. Is there, is there something that I'm missing? That, that's how they came to him, and he gave them more information. Are you in this place, church? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, you know, let me give you some examples of, of, of levels, levels of faith real quickly, okay? Levels. It's Wednesday night. We're going to study a little bit. Is that all right? Le levels of faith. Amen. And, and I can't go to all these scriptures. I'm, I'm praying that some of these you just know. And I'm saying, and I'm also, because if we go to all of them, we're not going to finish tonight. Uh, and, but I'm challenging you to write down, too, uh, so that you can go and, and, and find the story yourself and study it a little further. But um, there are levels of faith. Amen. The Bible says that to each has been given a level of faith. Amen. So there are levels of faith. That faith can increase. Amen. My Bible says faith comes by. Help me out, church. Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So you understand that there are levels of faith. Let me give you uh, a, an illustration of one of those levels. Amen. That same man. As a matter of fact, let's start with that same story. When the father comes into the picture after the disciples could not and Jesus shows up, he comes to Jesus and he says these words. If you can, if you can do something, help my son. And then Jesus answers his if you can with a if you can. If you've ever read that text, you go to that text, you find it, you say, listen, he says, if you can do anything, help my son. And Jesus said, if you can believe, <laughs> if you can believe all things are possible. But when I, when I listen to the words, if you can, that's not talking to me about a person that has great faith. I mean, that has to be probably, in my opinion, you, you, you tell me, the lowest level of faith, if there's even any faith in that. Because he said, Jesus, if you can. In other words, I don't even know if you can. But if you can, help my son. And Jesus tries to help him out a little bit. I say, if you can, believe. And then the man turns around and says, I believe, but help my unbelief. That almost don't make any sense. I believe, but help my unbelief. It's almost like he's saying, I believe that you could do it. I'm just not so sure you'll do it for me. And you can sit there in that queue and act like you never prayed that way. I know you could do it. I've seen you do it for others. I'm just not so sure that you will do it for me. So that's a very low level of faith. Will you agree? If you can. On another occasion, a leper comes to Jesus. Right? A leper comes to Jesus and here's what he says. If you will. If you will, thou can make me whole. And, and so watch this. He's not questioning Jesus' ability. 
he's questioning Jesus' willingness. Not his, the other guy was like, if you can. That's questioning his ability. This guy's talking about if you will. He's not questioning his ability. He's questioning his, will, his willingness. In other words, this guy knows his power, but he doesn't know his heart. And Jesus turns around and says, I am willing. I, and, and I will. In other words, he's saying to him, healing is my will. Are you with me in this place? Hallelujah, Jesus. Watch this. On another occasion, uh, they bring a blind man to Jesus, and they ask Jesus, can you touch him? <laughs> can you touch him? Because they believe that if Jesus touched him, he would be made whole. That's another level right there. So, so watch this. You got, you got the level that says, if you, if you can. The next level says, if you will. Right? You're not questioning his ability. You're questioning his willingness now. That's a, that's a step up. And now, you, now there's another level that's a step up that says, can you touch me? Because I believe if you touch me, I will be healed. And they brought this blind man to Jesus and said, if you touch him, he can be made whole. Amen, somebody. You know that story, he does touch him. He actually ends up touching him twice, and the man, gets, the man gets healed, amen? Then there's another level. On another occasion, I, I, you, you'll find this in Mark. I think it's the last chapter, chapter 66, somewhere around there. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's the end of the, not verse 66 of the last chapter of Mark, which is 16, I'm sorry. And so watch this. You go to that story, and you'll hear where it is said that they begged Jesus, watch this, not for him to touch them, but the, so that they can touch him. And so that's another level, because now I'm not asking you or waiting for you to touch me, right? Because you're probably not walking in my direction. If the woman with the issue of blood was here, she would tell you, I didn't have time for, for him to start walking in my direction. He was walking in the opposite direction, and I was so sick, I didn't have time to wait for him to come around again or wonder if he would come around again. So I went to him, and I touched him. And when I touched him, I got whole. So, so watch this. That's a whole other level. Now I'm not asking you to touch me. Now I'm, I'm asking you to let me touch you. And the Bible says that as many as touched the hem of his garment, they were made, they were made whole. So that's another level. That's four levels already. And, and, and some of you might think, well, that has to be the top one right there, right? Because look, they, they, they weren't even waiting. They said, let me touch you. I'm not coming to church talking about touch me. You know how we do sometimes. God, I need you to touch me today. They said, nah, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to use my worship to touch you. I'm going to use my faith to touch you. That's another level. Now, can I give you another level? This one, in my opinion, the fifth one, is probably the greatest level in Scripture. You have a man who, who, who comes to Jesus. Watch this. And when he comes to Jesus, he didn't ask Jesus if he could. He didn't ask Jesus if he will. He didn't ask Jesus to touch him. He didn't ask Jesus if he could touch him. He told Jesus, just speak. That's a whole other level. This man said, watch this, this man said, watch this, I have a servant that is sick, and I need your help. And so Jesus figured that he was going to be like everybody else, and he said, watch this, let me go to your house. As a matter of fact, that's another level. That just hit me right there. Uh, some of us need him to come to our house. 
And Jarius's daughter, Jarius comes up to Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Jarius comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter is sick. I need you to come to my house. And Jesus said, let's go to your house. You know the rest of that story. He ends up going to his house. You know, he got to throw some people out the house that didn't believe because he had to get the atmosphere right. And then, boom, he healed her. Amen. But the greatest faith was the one of this centurion who comes to Jesus and basically says, my daughter is sick and I need your help. And Jesus, figuring that, you know, he had to do what he does for everybody else, he said, well, okay, let's go to your house. And he said, eh. You don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. Only. He said, just speak the word only and my servant will be made whole. That's, that's powerful. And, and, and then he goes into explaining to Jesus why he believes that. He says, watch this. I'm a man, listen, I'm a man of order. He says, I'm a man under authority. And because I'm a man under authority, I walk in authority. And if I tell this person to do this or that person to do that, they respond to me. That's how uh, our system works. And I know, Jesus, that your system is similar. In other words, I know that you are the king of a kingdom. And there is an order to that kingdom. And in the same way, I'm a man under authority. Watch this. And I have authority that sends me to tell this one this and this one that. And they have to respond to me. I know that the Father has sent you. And that you are someone who is under authority. Therefore, you walk in that same authority. So whatever you speak to has to respond to you. So I don't need you to come to my house. I don't need you to will. Touch. Let me touch. I just need you to speak. And if you know the rest of that story, Jesus spoke. And, I, and when you read the rest of the whole story, the man went as far as asking his servants when he got home. What time did it happen? He, he knew it happened, but he was curious as to what time did it happen. And they told, at the end of the day, it was exactly when he released the words. In other words, there's no distance in faith. Hallelujah. As soon as Jesus spoke from where he was, that word went to where that servant was and healed them. That's, that's another level. The thing that's amazing about this particular story is that this person was not from Israel. This person was not from the household of Israel. And Jesus said about this individual, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. And you have to understand what he, what he was really saying. He was saying, in all the time I've been in the midst of my people. We're talking about thousands of years. I've never seen faith like this. Are you blessed in here? Hallelujah. So here you have at least five or six levels, right, of faith. Starting from the weakest to what we determined could be probably the strongest, right? But here's what I wanted, to, I wanted you to catch. Everybody got healed. You got to catch, listen to what I'm saying. From the one who had the, the weakest faith to the one who had the greatest faith, they all experienced a healing. And this is what I meant when I say, you know, sometimes we just got to take responsibility and not, and not just put it on the individual. Because watch this, all you need is faith. What does the Bible say? As a, 
and Jesus could still do a thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? Mm. Now, watch this. Jesus was impressed. You know, now, I will submit to you that it is very difficult to impress God. But this individual, this centurion, according to the text, did impress him to the point where he said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. But I, was, I want to submit to you, even from experience, that that doesn't mean that you become cocky. <laughs> Uh, in the presence of God now, and you think that now, you know, you, you, <laughs> you have so much faith, hallelujah, you don't have to go visit nobody, and you don't, you, you don't have to uh, lay hands on nobody, you just got to speak. I will submit to you that uh, though I believe I have faith, amen, come on somebody, uh, that's, that's, I'm not, I'm not going to brag about my own faith, I just believe I have faith, amen, uh, but I will submit to you that there are times where I do have to lay hands on somebody. There are times where I do have to go to the hospital bed and, and just kneel by the bedside for a little while. And there are times where I, I feel or sense that I do have to go to that person's house. And so I guess what I'm trying to say, hallelujah, is that whatever, whatever level of faith you're operating in, operate in it. God, help me. Uh, uh, the way I look at it oftentimes in my own experience is simply this. I, I follow the cloud. I said, I follow the cloud. I, 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 I let the cloud lead me. And, and the cloud, hallelujah, has a way of letting me know if I need to go visit that individual or if I just need to call that individual to the front and lay hands on them or whether I need to go speak with whatever it is. Amen. I guess what I'm trying to say is that one must always be mindful of the presence of God. Of the presence of God. Amen. And the voice of God. The presence of God and the voice of God. You're going to see through the scriptures that there is a correlation between the voice of God and his miracle working power. The voice of God and his miracle working power. One in particular, the miracle of healing. Amen, somebody. Are you blessed in here, church? I will submit to you that faith perceives I would, I would submit to you that faith sees. When I think about the woman with the issue of blood, I want you to see what she says. She says, if I could but just touch the hem of his garment. Watch this. I know. In other words, her faith perceives. Are you following what I'm saying? Uh, her faith sees something. At that moment, her faith sees something. To be able to say, if I touch him right now, I know. I will be made whole. Let me know that faith does perceive. Amen? Faith sees. On another occasion, I, I, I remember when they lowered that paralytic, Jesus said something very interesting. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus, in other words, hallelujah, Jesus saw in these people uh, that if they got this man in this house, they knew Jesus was going to do something. Are you following what I'm saying? Their faith perceived. We can't go home and wait for next week. Our brother's going to get healed today. All we got to do is get him in the house. Are you in this place, church? Faith perceives. Amen? Hallelujah, Jesus. Are you blessed in here, church? So, it is important to know his voice. It's important to know his presence. Show me Luke 5 and 15. Luke 5 and 15. Let me see if I can show you this correlation very quickly. Luke 5 and 15. You guys doing all right so far? 
Hallelujah. I got to move fast. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together, watch this now, to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. I want you to see the correlation there. They didn't just come to hear. The multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. They didn't just come to hear. They came with an expectation for the miraculous. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me show you another one. Show me Luke 6 and 17. Luke 6 and 17. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 6, verse number 17. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude, there's a whole other multitude now, and multitude of people out of all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to, watch this now, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Woo. We started out by talking about uh, Proverbs chapter 4, which is the book of wisdom. And he said to us, watch this through that text, that there's something about keeping his word in your heart, hallelujah, that will bring, watch this, health to all of your flesh. There is a correlation between hearing and healing. And when I say hearing, I'm talking about the word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, can we get a little deeper? Can we do a little Hebrew class? Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you know that Hebrew is the... I, I, I personally think, this is not scriptural, this is me personally, that before, before Babel, the 11th chapter of Genesis, where God confused everybody's language, for those of you not familiar, Genesis 11... Amen. Everybody's language got confused. This is where we get the languages. This is where we get the nations from. I personally believe that before that happened, the original language was Hebrew. That's just my personal thought. Amen. Don't ask me how I got that. Amen. But I was just trying to tell you, just in case you don't know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Amen. Jesus was a Hebrew. I want to submit to you that the Hebrew language is very unique. Amen. When you read Hebrew... You don't read Hebrew like you read English. You don't read Hebrew from left to right. You read Hebrew from right to left. Could you imagine? It's actually more like the Chinese language than it is the English language because they read from right to left. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Anyway, you read from right to left. Can I just say something else? There's only 22 letters to the Hebrew, language, to the Hebrew alphabet. Only 22 letters, unlike our 26. Can I submit to you that there are no numbers, there are no numbers uh, separate from the alphabet. In other words, their alphabet is their numbers. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, in other words, their, their first letter of their alphabet, which is Aleph, sounds cool, right? Aleph uh, is number one. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is their, that's how their numerical system works. Now, I don't have all the details on that, but I do know that much. Amen? When you talk about God's name, the, the, the Hebrews refer to God's name as Yahweh. You guys are familiar with that? Yahweh. I mean, we pronounce it. They won't even dare pronounce it. 
out of respect to the name. But when you look at the name, I wish I could put this up on the screen, but I didn't have time to make the slides for you. Amen. Hallelujah. It's made up of a few, it's made up of a few letters. Um, and I, I don't know if I should get into all this. Hallelujah. But it's, it's, the, it's the letters Yad, Hey, Vav, Hey. Yad, Hey, Vav, Hey. That's pastor talking Hebrew. Wow. Yad, Hey, Vav, Hey. Amen. Understand this about the letters as well. Each letter is a pictogram. It is a pictograph. In other words, each letter also represents a picture or a symbol. It's going to mean something in a minute. Hallelujah. Each one means Aleph, A. Watch this. Is number one, but it's also the symbol of an ox. It is the symbol of an ox. It, it makes reference to a great sacrifice. Because the ox in biblical times was probably the largest sacrifice that you can bring unto God. Amen? So it represented sacrifice. Let me give you the second letter very quickly. The second letter was Bet. Bet. Uh, B-E-T. Pronounced with an H in it. So it's really Beth. Amen? That was the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Beth. And the symbol for that one was house house. That's why you, you, every time you see a, a, a word in the Bible that starts with Beth, know it's talking about house. Okay, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Lehem means bread. Beth means house. House of, that's what Bethlehem means. You know that, right? Hallelujah. It's so deep. I mean, it's so profound. I mean, we could talk about that for a little while. The third one is Gemel. Gemel, the symbol of Gemel. The third one is a camel. The fourth one is Dalet. Dalet is a door. Is a door. And watch this. I wanted to get to this one right here. We'll stop right here. We're not going to do a 22. We'll do five. Uh, the fifth one is the word hey. Now somebody will come and say hey. It's hey. Now, hey is very interesting because hey is the fifth letter. In the Hebrew alphabet, five being the number of grace. Five being the number of grace. Watch this. The symbol, the symbol being an open window. The, the symbol being an open window. Hallelujah. It's amazing because if you ask Jewish people who only believe in the Old Testament uh, uh, to explain the symbol of the fifth letter of their alphabet they'll just say oh it just means an opening but what it really mean, what it really means is watch this an open window is is what, what do you open a window for so you can see out so that you can gain perspective hallelujah what the Jews need is a revelation of God's grace are you following what I'm saying in the name Yahweh alone I told you a moment ago hey is in there twice Grace, grace. <laughs> in his name twice. Now, the word also means to breathe. I said that the word also means to breathe. So when I think about God's name and how it says grace, grace twice, it's almost like it's, I can't even, let me see if I can pronounce it. It's, it's, it's Yah. We say Yahweh, but it's really Yah. God have mercy in here. Uh, let me give you another example of what I'm talking about. Uh, um, there's a man and a woman whose name is Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was not Abraham. It was, his name was Abram. 
and he was about 100 years old. Come on, somebody. And then Sarah, her name wasn't Sarah, it was Sarai or Sarai, right? And she was 90 years old. And God, watch this, sent a word to them and said, you're going to have a baby. And, you know, that's kind of 190. That's not supposed to happen. Amen? Until God breathes on them. Now, now, now watch this. He changes, he puts a hay in each one of their names. This is what you need to catch. Uh, he changes Abram's name to Abraham. He changes Abram's name to Abraham. And then he adds the H or the hay to Sarah's name. And so we say Sarah, but it's really more like Sarah. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Hallelujah. And so, oh God, the, the, the teaching there on a personal level is that you don't become fruitful until God breathes on you. You don't become fruitful until God breathes on you. If you're in this place so far, shout glory in here. All right, so let me take you a little bit further. Hallelujah. The Jews do not study scripture necessarily just like we do. There are some mysteries uh, to the scriptures. Uh, some people go as far as calling them Bible codes and all that. And, but a lot of this stems from the way a lot of the Hebrew scholars interpret the text. Now, I ain't got time to get into all this. I'm going to give you one, one example of what I'm talking about. And then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Hopefully. Amen. And so watch this. How many of you are familiar with the menorah? The menorah. The, the menorah is that candelabra that they, uh, God instructed Moses to put in the tabernacle. This particular menorah was a menorah of seven shafts. A center shaft, three on the left, three on the right. What you probably don't know about it is that there was the center shaft and then all the other ones faced the one in the center. Are you in this place? Because the one in the center actually represents God. It really represents Christ, same thing, but that's not the Jews' revelation. So watch this. Each one facing the one in the center is simply just a picture of the church. It's, it's, it's us coming together to fellowship with our focus being on the man in the middle. With our focus being the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me so far in this place? So watch this now. The Hebrews have this thing that they did uh, occasionally when interpreting the scripture where, watch this, they'll take a verse like Proverbs 4 and 20 and they'll, they'll use the menorah principle, which basically means we're going to find the letter in the middle of the verse because there is a mystery in it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so they would take the whole, they would, I thought this was ironic that God was showing me this now because uh, I'm taking a statistics class. Anybody ever do statistics in college? Oh, God, pray for pastor. <laughs> statistics. You need Jesus just for statistics. I'm going to tell you no lies. But anyway, so I'm taking a statistics class, and one of the things they challenge you in statistics, uh, let's say you're, you're, you're looking at a population, the challenge will be you have to find the mean, you have to find the medium, and you have to find the mode. Uh, the medium, being what I just wanted to focus on, is the, the, the number in the center. The number in the center. And so if you have an odd number, right, let's say you have 15 numbers, uh, that's odd. So it's easy to find the medium because that means that the numbers to the right and to the left are going to be even. 
the medium being the middle number. In, in, in the case of 15, right, you have that number in the middle, and then you have seven to the left, seven to the right. And so you find the medium that is your medium. So they would do this with the scriptures. And so watch this. If, if we did that with this particular text right here, Proverbs chapter 4, just verse 20, 21, and 22, just for the sake of doing it, let's see if there's a mystery in the text. Amen? Hallelujah. Are you blessed, church? So without, without, without going too deep into it, let me just submit to you that in the first verse, the 20th verse, there are, watch this now, 25 letters. 25 letters. Because it's odd, it's very easy to find the medium. Amen? So the medium, the medium on that first, first verse ends up being the letter bet. Which, does anybody remember what that meant? House. Come on, somebody's listening, praise God. House. Amen. So watch this. In the first, first verse, we find house. Amen. I don't want to get too Hebrew, but it's really not just talking about any house. It's talking about God's house. Amen. We would have to do some further examination to come to that conclusion, but we're not going to do that today. Just take me out my word there. It's not just talking about any house. It's talking about God's house. Amen. The second letter we didn't even go over today, and I don't have time to go over it, is, is, is in the 22nd, the 21st verse. There's also 25 letters, which makes it easy to find the middle one. It's the letter Kaf, which basically means to see. So we see house, and we see to see. Amen? When we look at the last verse, or the last verse that we're talking about, it doesn't have 25. It has 27 letters. But again, being odd, it's easy to find the one in the middle. Amen? And the one in the middle here is hay. Is hay, which stands for grace. Amen, somebody? And so watch this. When we're talking about a scripture that tells us, watch this, to be attentive. Matter of fact, put it up there. Put Proverbs 4 and 20 up there one, one more time for me. I want to read this text. Uh, my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Next verse. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them. To those that find them and health to all their flesh. If you are going to experience the supernatural power of God, you need to be in a house that delivers a revelation of grace. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, listen to what we found out today, okay? If, if, if we use this uh, menorah principle of Jewish interpretation... To, to look at this text for a mystery, it is very simple what it's saying. It is saying, watch this, come to my house and see my grace. Are you following what I'm saying in this place? And so watch this, if you, if you, if you look in your Bible, you're not going to see a miracle take place in a religious atmosphere ever in the scripture. Oh God. Unless it's Jesus who's doing it, because somebody came in and changed the atmosphere. Are you hearing? Many a times Jesus is in a house with a bunch of religious folks. And on one occasion, four men came, broke the roof open, and changed the atmosphere. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, 
Then he healed the man. Are you hearing what I'm saying? On another occasion, he's in a house with a bunch of religious people and one woman, because sometimes that's all it takes to change an atmosphere. One woman came in with an alabaster box, broke the box open, hallelujah. She changed the atmosphere. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? Are you blessed in here? On another occasion, they brought a man to Jesus who was blind. Hallelujah. Watch this. Because, you know, sometimes the religious, they just want to see a miracle. The, the Pharisees would come to Jesus often and be like, do another miracle. Multiply more bread. And Jesus got fed up with them. And on one occasion with this particular man, he grabbed them by the hand and took them out of the city. Because sometimes you got to get people out of the wrong environment before you can do something in their life. And so Jesus got him out of that religious environment so that when he opened his eyes, the first thing he saw was grace. The first thing he saw was Jesus and not a religious picture. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah. Jesus. Are you blessed in here, church? Listen, you know that scientists today this is food for thought. Scientists today do not know or cannot explain what holds the atom together. Uh, they, could talk a lot, they could talk about a lot of things. They could talk about uh, the protons. They could talk about the nucleus. Uh, they could talk about this. They can talk about that. But they cannot explain what holds that. They'll tell you that two negatives repel one another. So there's no, there's no real way that it should be held together. But somehow it is held together. And I want to submit to the scientists that the reason it's held together is because of the medium. It is because of the one in the middle. Uh, my Bible puts it like this. My Bible says, in him, all things are held together. In him, the King James, all things consist. I don't know how it's held together exactly, but I know who's holding it together. That's why it's so important, hallelujah, to have that medium in your life. Can I submit to you? It's important. Listen, you know what's going to keep that marriage together? The medium. It's, it's, it's Jesus who has the power to keep that marriage together. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? And without him, it's very difficult. Are you blessed in here? Hallelujah. And so watch this. You know, we're talking about. We're talking about miracles. We're talking about healing in particular. And I talk to you about levels of faith. I give you a little revelation, hallelujah, on how you have to have a revelation on, on grace if you're going to see healing. I think that sometimes, hallelujah, we put so much emphasis on, on, on works or doing something. You're, 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 you're <laughs> and and if, if you live by works, or in other words, trying to do something so that God could do something, you're going to end up on the wrong side of the veil where the glory of God is not. Are you here? That's where religion is. Amen? And so you're not going to see the miracle working power of God in a religious atmosphere. Let me give you another example. How many of you know the Apostle Paul was zealous before he came to Christ, was zealous about the law, was zealous about uh, his religion? As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was killing Christians in the name of God, amen, and thought that he was doing God's bidding. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Until Jesus shows up to him. But you never heard about Paul as zealous as he was and as much as he knew, and it didn't matter that he was taught by the best named Gamaliel. You never saw Paul do a miracle. He's killing people. That ain't no miracle. Amen, somebody. 
until Jesus interrupts his life on the road to Damascus. And the Bible says that Jesus knocks him off of his horse or knocks him down to the ground, whether he was on a horse or walking. Many scholars think he was on a horse, but the Bible doesn't say. He falls to the ground, right? And he ends up being blind. He ends up being blind. You know the story, right? Watch this. Then God sends a man to him. Anybody know that man's name? It is Bible class. His name is Ananias. He sends Ananias to him, right? Ananias, just in case you don't know, stands for God's grace. So you got you to gotta, you gotta understand what's going on here. The apostle Paul needs a revelation of God's he needs a revelation of God's grace, hallelujah, before the supernatural power of God could begin to operate in his life. As long as he is a religious zealot, he does not have that revelation. God has to blind him, has to say, listen, everything you knew before today, mm -mm. watch this. I'm going to give you a revelation. And Ananias comes. You remember what the symbol of hey, grace was? It was an open window. Ananias comes, touches him. Boom, his eyes are opened, and he gets a revelation of grace. And not only does he give it a revelation at the moment, watch this, and not only does his eyes open, watch this, spiritually, his eyes open naturally. In other words, that was supernatural what took place in that house. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Are you blessed in here? I got seven minutes. Somebody shout, you can do it. We know you can't, but we still shouting you can. <laughs> By faith, Pastor, we with you. I love y'all. I appreciate y'all so much. <laughs> so watch this. The lack of that revelation becomes an obstacle to the supernatural. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're not going to see the miraculous move in an atmosphere of religiosity. Now, can I give you another obstacle to miracles? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because sometimes we're wondering, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to tell me, I know. But sometimes we wonder, hallelujah, why the miraculous don't take place. Some of us are believing for some things that have not happened, amen. And uh, we ask ourselves questions, amen. And so let me give you another hindrance, another hindrance, hallelujah, to the miraculous, amen. Wow, there's a lot here. Hallelujah. Six minutes now. Um, if you go to John, go to John, John 7, John 7. I got to read three verses there real fast. John 7, beginning at verse number one. Hallelujah. How many of you in here know perspective is everything? I said perspective is everything. Amen. Hallelujah. How you see it. Uh, watch this. Uh, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Amen. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Next verse. His brethren, this is talking about Jesus' brothers. Now just in case you didn't know, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Amen. His brethren therefore said unto him, depart hence and go to Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Now, this is his brothers speaking very sarcastic to Jesus, their older brother. Because, I'm, I'm going to show it to you in the next verse, hallelujah. But just in case you didn't know, the text says in the beginning that they were trying to kill him there. They, were, they sought to kill him. So, why would my brothers send me to the place where people are trying to kill me? 
They're speaking sarcastically to him. Watch this. Show me the next verse. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret. Watch this. And he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. They're still speaking sarcastically. You know what they're accusing Jesus of? They're accusing Jesus of trying to make himself famous. And they'll do that to anybody who's doing great things for God. They accused him of trying to make himself famous. Why? Next verse. For neither did his brethren believe in him. My own brothers. So here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you. Because he grew up with them in the same house. He's the oldest. Watch this. And he's probably, in my opinion, a really good big brother. <laughs> I mean, he's Jesus, right? He ain't lying to them. He ain't, I mean, he's, he's not roughing them up. Come on, somebody. Mistreating them, taking stuff from them. He's probably the best big brother a big brother can be. Watch this. And what's amazing to me is that you could be that close to your miracle and still not have a clue. God have mercy in this place because you don't see it correctly because of your perspective. Show me, show me Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. 4 and 14. Luke 4 and 14. Oh, God, have mercy. <laughs> okay. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Notice that, in the power of the Spirit. And there, this is after the wilderness. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. God's not going to give you a platform until you pass some tests in the wilderness. Okay. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of who? Of all. I want you to catch this. Next one. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, you know this story, right? This is the story where he opens up the Bible to the book of Isaiah, the 61st chapter, and he begins to read. What I want you to understand before we get into the story is simply this. He doesn't decide what he's going to read. You have to understand that they went to the synagogue all the time, and what happens is, watch this, it'll be somebody's turn to read. They'll get up there, they'll read, and then they'll take something and mark where they read last. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then the next time they meet, the next priest, Pharisee, comes up and takes the mark and reads from there onward. And so Jesus just so happens. Jesus just so happens to come into the house. It's his turn to read, and it's his turn to read from Isaiah 61, a scripture that's talking about himself. Coincidence? I think not. So watch this. He stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. Now, now, let me just submit to you, hallelujah, for those of you who like walking around talking about I'm anointed. You're only anointed if you have purpose. 
sick, they're talking about you're anointed and you are without purpose. Listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to. You are anointed to. And then he begins to list what he was anointed to do, right? Uh, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, record the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. Next verse. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Next verse. And he closed the book. Could you imagine? And he read it, right? And then he closed the book and he gave it to the minister, right? The guy who handed it to him. He said, here you go. And sat down. Now, what you have to understand, if you study Jewish custom, the place where he sat down was not no ordinary chair. They had a chair reserved there next to the scrolls. A chair that was set aside for the Messiah. You need to study a little Jewish history. It was a chair that nobody was supposed to sit on or sit at until the Messiah showed up. And that chair was set apart for him. Jesus closed the book. Gave it to the minister and then sat in the chair as to tell them, God, help me in here. And then it, just in case they didn't catch it, watch this. And he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them, why do you think all their eyes was on him? And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him like he's, he's sitting in the chair. He's sitting in the chair. Do you know what that means? Watch this. Next verse. And he began to say unto them, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, yeah, it's me. I'm here. Now watch, 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 watch. I'm going somewhere. Next verse, next verse. And all bear him witness. Now, oh my God, this is deeper than you think because there's some translation that don't do it no justice. Some say, some translations say, and they thought highly of him. That's not doing it. I think that's not a right translation. It says that they all bore witness of him. Look, 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 look. And wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth and they, wait, okay, I don't even want to get to that part yet. But watch this. When the text says, and all bore witness of him, what it's saying is that something began to happen on the inside of them when they heard him speak those words. Now, here's what you have to understand. Before that day, their coming into the synagogue was nothing more than a routine. It was a routine, watch this, that didn't even have something that they experienced in the past which was his presence. Because they had his presence in the Old Testament. But from the last book of the Old Testament, come on somebody, Malachi, to the book of Matthew, the Bible is clear that there was a silence for 400 years. And so what you have to understand is that for 400 years, they've been coming into that synagogue like a routine. With no presence, with no prophet, you don't hear what I'm saying, with no revelation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so watch this. All of a sudden, the word of God started talking. And his words, come on somebody, are both spirit and life. So what you have to understand is that when Jesus started talking that day, it was unlike, hallelujah, the last 400 days. 
And all of a sudden, they started sensing the presence of God in that place. And the Bible says, watch this, that they wondered at the gracious. What does gracious mean? They wondered at the grace-filled words that he was releasing. And you have to understand something about grace. Grace is not just something nice. Grace is an empowerment to say no to ungodliness. Grace is power. Grace is not just a power that gets you into the kingdom, but it's a power that causes you to bring the kingdom. And so something started happening on the inside of these men, hallelujah, where they begin to bear witness. And all of a sudden, they started to get excited from the inside and marveled as they stared at him. It was almost like they were saying, could it? Oh, my God, could it be? Until somebody else opened their mouth and said, and they said, isn't this not Joseph's son? They were being introduced to the eternal and were hindered into the familiar. I said they were being introduced into the eternal and all of a sudden were hindered into the familiar. Familiar. Isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we, don't we know him? I mean, all this has been amazing. It was, almost, it was almost like the person who was ready to explode just got... <laughs> it was almost as though he said, Oh my God, yeah, that's just, that's just Joseph's kid. Thanks, man, for bringing me back to my senses. Because that's one of the things that will hinder you from walking in the spirit. Your senses. Thank you for bringing me back to my senses. I, I thought I was standing right in front of the Messiah for a minute there. In this season of your life, it matters who you roll with. You believe in God for something? Make sure you're around people that are believing God for something. Amen. Are you in the, can I read the rest of this and land this plane? I'm not going to be able to finish, but maybe, maybe I can finish this part. Give me the next verse. And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb. Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Go to the next verse. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, talking about Elijah, and when, heaven, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, listen to this, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save to Seraphath, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Now I'm going to stop right there for a second. Keep it there. I'm going to stop there for a second. Look at what Jesus is saying. How many of you know the, the story of the widow at Zarephath? 
We like preaching on that story, right? A lot of people like preaching on that story. Amen. She had one meal left. She gave that meal to Jesus, and her wheel, her wheelbarrow never, her meal barrel never ran out. Amen. It's an amazing story. But Jesus gives us further revelation on this story. Hallelujah. And he's basically saying that the intention was not necessarily to send my prophet all the way to another place outside of his community, but I had to send them outside of his community because there wasn't anybody in his community who believed. The text said there were many widows in Jerusalem, but all they saw the prophet as being familiar. Oh, you're not hearing me. Because they saw him as just another man. They could not receive from, extract, pull from him what he was carrying for them. So there's a famine. You got to catch this. There's a famine in the whole land. It's dry, but God has a man in the land who has the power to release, watch this now, the miracle of supernatural provision. For the people in that land, and none of them saw him correctly. And here's what Jesus is saying. But the power was there the whole time. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The power for supernatural provision was there the whole time. But because you could not see him correctly. Oh my God, I believe it's in Matthew. It says, to the person who receives a prophet, in the name of a prophet, will receive the prophet's reward. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, you have to see him correctly to extract from him what he's carrying. So let me give you an illustration real quick. Hallelujah. So if an individual comes in this place uh, today and you don't know who he is, and you don't know what he's carrying. And you just see him as a brother. And so you just receive him as a brother. That's nice that you received him as a brother. But because you received him as a brother and did not discern what he was carrying, all you get from him is his brotherhood. But he could be carrying your breakthrough. God, help me in this place. I said, and you better catch this in here because I'm not talking about, don't get me, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about people worship. I'm not talking about flattery. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being able to celebrate God's choice. God's choice and God's gift on the life of somebody else. Are you in this place? Notice what the text said. The power was there the whole time. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Oh God, because Elijah's from way back. He's saying the power has been there the whole time. You were this close, this close, and you were clueless. So I had to send him outside of the community to a person who would believe. And this woman who was not from the community extracted from him what the people from the community had for years and couldn't tap into. This is Jesus talking. Let's read the rest of it. And many lepers were in Israel 
not just, watch this, not just widows, lepers. In Israel, in the time of Elisha, watch this, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed. Saving who? Naaman, the Syrian. Not from the community. <laughs> oh, God. What's the next verse say? Does the next verse say? say? Look, 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 and they got mad. Look at what it says there. And all in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they went from marveling to upset. Listen to what he's saying. There was a bunch of lepers in Israel, and none of them got cleansed because none of them could see the prophet correctly. Jesus, on one occasion, wept for Jerusalem because they killed the prophets. Because he sent them prophets, and they didn't know how to receive the prophet. And what Jesus is saying in this text is, watch this, as long as Elisha and Elijah were alive, the power for supernatural provision and the healing of miracles was present. And none of you tapped into it. It's not that it wasn't there. It was that your dishonor, your dishonor became an obstacle to the supernatural. Dishonor. Can I tell you that we live in a culture of dishonor today? Nobody respects nobody. You're wondering why the healing power of God ain't flowing? We've become a dishonorable people. We don't honor, no, we don't honor, God help me in here. Today they don't honor their own parents. Why do you think Jesus made it his point? To make one of the commandments about honor. And that was the commandment that came with the promise. He said, honor those in authority and live. But the exact opposite is happening in the world. We live in a culture of dishonor. God help me in here. And even in the church. We're wondering why the, why, okay, that's them, huh? So why, why doesn't it happen among us? Dishonor is an issue even in the house of God. God help me in this place. You're not just supposed to honor those in authority. You're supposed to honor your brother. Honor your sister. Honor those that serve you. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. Hallelujah. Honor even those that serve you. The, 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 the appeal, the appeal... Oh, the temptation to want to tell somebody's story to somebody else is killing the church. I said it's killing the church. You cannot spiritualize gossip. I don't care. Listen, you cannot spiritualize gossip. How do you, do let me show you how you do that. Listen, I want to tell you something. But I, I'm only telling you so you could pray. That's how you spiritualize gossip. No matter how you put it, it's still gossip. God, help me in this place. Some of us think that we only are supposed to honor as, as long as the person is worthy of honor. Can I help you in here? God, I wish I got to close. But can I just help you here? 
understand this last point right here. When King Saul, I'm going back to David and King Saul, okay? King Saul, I don't know if you remember, his leadership started going a little haywire. Amen? He started, he started sensing jealousy, uh, envy towards David. They're from the same camp. In other words, it happens in the church. There's not just haters outside. Can I just be real in here? So, so, so watch this. Saul's leadership goes haywire, and now he's chucking harpoons at David. And on two different occasions, David has to dodge spears being chucked at him, right? You know the story. Now, David, you would to think, has every reason to retaliate. To say, you know what? This guy's trying to kill me. I'm going to get him before he gets me, right? Uh, David decides to leave. He's on the run. Saul is chasing him. On two separate occasions, David could have killed Saul. Saul ended up coming into the cave where David was hiding. And the Bible says David had him. David could have easily killed him. Matter of fact, on one of, on one of the occasions, David's men said, God delivered him to your hands. Take him out. Watch. Be careful who you let influence you. <laughs> because your destiny is at stake. David says, I will not touch God's anointed. This is what he said. This is what he said, saints. He said, not only am I not going to touch him, I'm not going to let you touch him. And a matter, as a matter of fact, somebody came to David and said they killed Saul and David killed them. So, so watch this. We could easily argue that Saul does, did not deserve David's honor. But David respected God's choice. I said David respected God's choice and said, listen, if Samuel anointed him, let Samuel deal with him. It's not my place. I don't know where people think that they have been deputized of God. If David kills Saul, David does not become king. He forfeits his own destiny by taking matters into his own hands. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so watch this. I'm not, listen, oh God, help me. I'm not talking about not speaking correction to somebody. Because if we have to do that, we do that. Are you following what I'm saying? What I am saying is that I respect God's choice. God chose you. God chose you. And, and just because you messed up. And what you did is inexcusable. It doesn't mean it's not forgivable. And at the end of the day, I just want to see Samson's hair grow back. Are you blessed in here? Come on, give God a praise offering. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Come on, praise him.